Welcome to another episode of The Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, join me and my co-host, Alex Ross, as we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss an early diagnosis test for Alzheimer's disease and urge to end menthol cigarettes and a better way to breathe with emphysema. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 81 for the week of April 19th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Alex Ross. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is L56.8, other specified acute skin changes due to ultraviolet radiation. Right. Uh, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. happened to me. However. Never would have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it got warm out yes. the other day. And so. You know, I, everybody got outside, right? That's, that's just normal. That's totally normal. Um, and as such, I went out and it was warm. So I wore a, a t-shirt. Um, and then when I was done, you know, I was like, yeah. eh, I'm not quite tan enough. So I actually went to the, the tanning salon after oh. I had already been outside all it's day. your bronze on. Yeah, right. Now here's the issue. Sunburn Uh-oh. sometimes takes a bit to show up. Uh, so I didn't yes. realize that I was sunburnt. And I guess the people at the, the tanning salon didn't realize it either. And so they're like, yeah, go ahead. And I went for the extra long, um, well done session because I, you know, mm-hmm. summer's coming up. I got to get my tan on. Right. Cause yeah, you know, you're like, you're not a medium rare. You're a well done. Exactly. And you know me, I'm always the tannest person in the office. So, hundred <laughs> percent. So yeah, that, that that's what happened, and uh, it it ended up in in this acute skin change, uh, actually a sunburn, if you will. Um, but because it was due to a, a tanning bed specifically, that's that's what it they, sounds like. Almost an obtuse skin change. No, it was it was definitely acute. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, but a, a sunburn is L fifty five point nine. But because mm. they associated it with the tanning bed itself, that's how it ended up being L56. They subtracted it a little bit, right? Uh, no, they added to it, 55 oh, to they, 56. They added to it, right? And I heard right. 58 for some reason. Right, just I like know. I added to my sunburn. <laughs> I have a tendency to tone you out from time to time. But anyways, let's get right into the news. First up, <laughs> always remember the earlier, the better in healthcare. Researchers at Southfield-based Beaumont Health have discovered a blood test that could provide early prediction of Alzheimer's disease. The team used artificial intelligence and deep learning processes to analyze extracted DNA from whole blood samples. The analysis discovered 152 significant genetic differences between patients with Alzheimer's and healthy patients. It has the potential to provide diagnosis before symptoms develop and the brain is irreversibly damaged. The brain changes are believed to precede the onset of symptoms by years. The goal is to identify patients in the preclinical stage so effective early interventions can be studied and used. Treatment drugs used in the late stages of the disease don't seem to make much of a difference, so there's a tremendous interest in early diagnosis. What an interesting uh, difference, right? Yeah. So, so instead of treating Alzheimer's as it occurs, we have the potential to identify future Alzheimer's. And, and that that's be, a step that we haven't had yeah, before. Right. I wonder, 
you know, what would be scarier? I guess, uh, I guess it would be the latter, but I'm going to ask the question anyways, is, you know, getting told by your doctor that you are early stage Alzheimer's, like way before it even starts showing or getting told that you have Alzheimer's. I mean, obviously it would be the latter, right? But I feel like it would still be kind of scary to be like, oh, wow. I am literally prone to having Alzheimer's later in my life, but mm -hmm. it would be nice to know that because then obviously in this case, you could probably in the future be start treatment for Alzheimer's, which is insane to think about. Right. Right. And, and the, the potential here is in preventative care, right? This yep. is before symptoms even start developing. So the, the just like any other disease, catching it early and being able to intervene is usually the, the best possible case. Now, right. th the next step is obviously finding treatments that then um, reduce chances or prolong um, the, the or put off the onset of symptoms. And, and that would in itself be huge, you know, giving people extra time or, you know, even being able to prevent it at all, you know, right. If you can prevent the disease, well, now we don't have to cure it necessarily. Right. We just have to get really good at preventing it. Yep. I always, I always, you know, Alzheimer news and cancer news is always usually pretty inspiring for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, at least the at least the news articles we get in this podcast to talk about. So I always look forward to reading about it and and seeing where where the research and where the the development is going towards. Mm-hmm. Next up, don't start them young with a smoking habit. A coalition including the American Dental Association and Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids are urging the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to ban menthol cigarettes and other non-tobacco flavored products. Since the menthol component masks the harshness of smoke, it makes it easier for non-smokers to start smoking. This leads to greater initiation of smoking among youth, and it also makes it harder for smokers to quit. The coalition is urging the FDA to use its authority to issue product standards that end the manufacture and sale of flavor tobacco products. The cigarette industry <laughs> is, is just struggling. I feel like, I mean, you know, for good reason, obviously smoking is bad for you. Uh, I don't think we need to, you know, discuss about that, but you know, as an industry, they're just constantly getting bombarded with new, new regulations and new, uh, you know, people, angry people, people to deal with which you know rightfully so but you know i just want to point that out <laughs> right now what's interesting is if we look at the trend line of smoking since you know all the way back 1965 it's been going yep. in a downward trend consistently right like it's it hasn't slowed down at all it's going in a downward trend i mean we're getting to the point where it's like uh you know we're we're down to like 20% of of US adults are smokers. Yeah. Which actually seems high in, in my anecdotal experience. But, you know, menthol was kind of the um it was the compromise, right? We'll let you have this one so that we can get rid of all of the other flavored tobacco products. Right. And um yeah, so menthol only represents about 25% of cigarette sales in the U.S. Yeah. And 
you know, while I agree that it potentially has the the object the the ability to make smoking easier, if you will, um, you know, generally it's not like the the main way that people are smoking first. However, the the challenge is if you look at high school students and middle school students, the percentage is much, much, much higher. Yeah. So 25% overall in the United States, but in high school students, the CDC is reporting 67% of high school students who use tobacco products reported using a flavored tobacco product. And that right. was a study just a couple of years ago. So I, I think they do have some argument there, and, and I do agree. Listen, I, I don't care what an adult chooses to do. That's true. That's that's on them. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, there's that philosophical part of me that's like, no, we should let an adult choose to do whatever they want to do. You know, if they're going to harm themselves, who cares if it tastes like mint when they do it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and 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 the argument has always been think of the kids think of the kids what about the kids and and I agree you know I totally agree and we're mm. making great mm. inroads in in reducing kids smoking it's been a downward trend since the 60s you know we're moving the right direction now right. obviously the introduction of electronic cigarettes that's that's a whole different argument that's something completely different um yeah. and and, and really a whole different conversation. Um, but but as we're talking about traditional tobacco products, I, I almost feel like this battle is, we're, we're winning it, and there isn't necessarily a need to step on it even harder in a way that impacts, you know, adults who I really don't care what they choose to do. Yeah, Would I like right. them to stop it's smoking? One thing, yeah, it smells terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one thing to to you know, s- you know, choose to smoke as an adult. It's another thing to choose to smoke as an adult when you're in the room with kids that doesn't have ventilation. You know right, I mean? and a lot of states have Which, put new rules right, on the book. That exactly. Are like, so that is now illegal to smoke with someone who's underage or unable to leave potentially um, in in right. the room. And I, I think it's generally a good thing that we did things like banning smoking in restaurants and, you know, it, all of the studies about the dangers of secondhand smoke, all of them say that someone who works in an environment like a bar or a restaurant, which is consistently filled with smoke, that that, that it's bad as they are smoking themselves. So right. for the safety of employees who work at those kind of places, I awesome. that That's the kind of rules that I can get behind because... Those kind of things impact other people. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, maybe I don't know what the solution is, though. Right. Because it, it's always going to be like, well, take away this. They're going to go find something else. They're going to do something. Else. You, you know, we try our best and we can keep just banning things and banning things and banning things. But it it has to be education. It has to be. Uh, a conscious choice like, eh, I don't really want to do that, even though I could get access to it through some illegal channel. Right? Yeah. I could have my older brother buy it. I could have a friend who just graduated buy it for me. But, you know, it, it has to become this choice of like, hey, you don't want to do that. 
Now, I think part of the reason that smoking has continued to trend downwards is because we're getting to the point where a lot of people who smoked their whole lives when it was popular are starting to see the repercussions of it. Yeah. And so for the younger generation now, I have to see my grandfather suffer. And when I see that, I'm like, no, I don't want any part of that. Right. And even if previously I was like, yeah, that's that's fun. I want to do that. Now I'm thinking like, no, the dangers are real. The dangers are are in front of me. You know, they're the not theoretical. Zone. They're very obvious and and real. Yeah. Next up, new treatment shows mercy on patients breathing. Mercy Health is the first health system in its region to offer a new treatment option for patients with emphysema. It's offering a minimally invasive procedure to place valves into the damaged areas of the lung. More than 1 million emphysema patients suffer symptoms of hyperinflation in which air becomes trapped in damaged areas, which causes extreme shortness of breath. Until now, the only other options were highly invasive treatments such as lung volume reduction surgery or lung transplantation. But the newly minimal invasive treatment shortens recovery time and lessens the risk of infection. It's a one-time procedure which requires no cutting or incisions. The tiny valves in the patient's airways block off the diseased parts of the lungs where air gets trapped and allows healthier parts to expand and take in more air. Who comes up with these surgeries? Now, I'm curious how... I'm obviously not a doctor, so no. I could be just completely wrong. But in, in my limited understanding of the way lungs work... If we just block off a section, then that section doesn't get air. So Does it just die off? Right, which would obviously be bad. We can't have your lungs right. dying off, especially if they're already damaged. Yes. So I have to imagine that it's not a complete block. It's it's more like a limitation so that too much air doesn't get in there. Or maybe it allows it to escape easier than it allows it to go in. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, like a, a one-way mostly lungs. a one-way valve. <laughs> right. Yeah. That makes sense. Have you ever had that situation where you get short of breath because you have too much air in your lungs? It's weird. No. Yeah, well, I, don't think I have. <laughs> it, it's a weird feeling. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say that. Because yeah, you, you feel like almost like feeling. you can't breathe, but you're obviously breathing. Your lungs are full of air. <laughs> yeah, right. Speaking it's of a, uh, symptoms of, of smoking, though, I mean, there's one emphysema and your classic cough. The classic. Smoker's cough coming from emphysema or leading right. to emphysema. I, I, you know, I, it, I, don't, I wonder how long it takes to come up, how much research and development has to come into types of surgery like this. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like you have to be, obviously you have to know, you have to be a doctor, okay? You mm -hmm. have to be a medical researcher in some capacity, but you also have to be a little bit creative at the same time, you know, and just be yeah. willing to try new things and seeing which one works the best. So. I feel like that's kind of the what ended up happening here is, is obviously they did a lot of research beforehand, but they were like, you know, what if we just put valves in that kind of blocked off airways and right. somehow made it non-invasive, <laughs> which sounds super invasive. I mean, that sounds invasive, but I guess it's not. I mean, it just must be a matter of the incision they make and then that's it. Yeah, it's hard to say. With that, let's go into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H, Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest breaches all across the world. 
First up, invest your data along with your money. India's stock market broker, Upstocks, acknowledged a breach after an independent cybersecurity researcher tweeted that customer data was for sale on the dark web. The hackers from the group Shiny Hunters are seeking a ransom of $1.2 million to not publicize the user data. Some data of investors has already been made public as a warning. The company didn't clarify the impact of the breach, but it restricted access to the impacted database, upgraded security systems, and separated user data from financial assets to ensure that retail investors' holdings are safe. It's unknown when the hackers gained access to the servers. In February, Upstock suffered an outage for two days, which they blamed on hardware issues, but it isn't known yet if the two events are related. Being an independent cybersecurity researcher who just goes on the dark web and figures out what kind of data is leaked and where it comes from sounds like a really fun job. I'm just going to say that. That sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. Because <laughs> it's like companies are just hoping that, you know, they get wind of who you are and they're just hoping and praying and checking your your social media channels to every day to make sure that, you know, none of their data has been leaked and you don't confirm it. <laughs> like, that yeah, sounds like yeah. a worst case scenario, just putting this organization on blast like, hey, you know, I found this data. It belongs to this company. Uh, you better fix your, your compliance and cybersecurity, which is necessary, right? Because it will make them make all organizations, you know, ideally more protected. But it just sounds like an interesting gig. That's for sure. Yeah, I would agree. Next up, welcome to the club of data leaks. The chat app Clubhouse is the latest tech giant to suffer a major data breach. Cyber News reported that an SQL database containing 1.3 million users' records was leaked for free on a popular hacker forum. But Clubhouse said that Cyber News' claims were misleading and false. The company said in a tweet that it hasn't been breached or hacked and that the data referred to was all public profile information which anyone can access through the app. This suggests that the leaked data doesn't include sensitive information such as passwords or email addresses, but the details could still be used to target Clubhouse users for phishing attacks. Do you know what Clubhouse is? Uh, no, not at all. I'm pretty sure, you know, from what I've heard, at least, and it's usually like set, uh, like a satire content that I've seen that's, that's related to Clubhouse is it's like teens acting like they're smarter than they are. So they're like feverishly <laughs> Googling before every topic they discuss on Clubhouse. That's what I've heard from it. So I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but that's what I've heard is it's it's like teens who who think they're very smart and maybe, you know, maybe they are, but they they like to have very, very intricate Google conversations based on, you know, looking at every word in a sentence and Googling all the research. And they're the yeah. type of people that raise their finger and they're like, um, actually, it's this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it's a voice app. It, it's like a chat room, yep. but with voice. That, that's really the the mm -hmm. main point of it. Um, and I will say that it's pretty new. I mean, it's yep. it's not even out of the beta phase yet. Yep. And, it, you know, it's still invoid only. And yet uh, <laughs> it was already breached. Yeah, that's not, not a good, good start. No wonder they're coming coming out on a, another social media saying that it's the claims are misleading. Whether or not they are, we don't know yet. I mean. Maybe they yeah, are. Yeah, I feel like at this Clubhouse point they have to just doing an investigation. Yeah, 
I feel like at this point they have to just say, no, it's not true and hope that nobody right. catches on because otherwise they're toast. Yeah. I also think it's always interesting when social media platforms go on other social medias to talk about their social media. Yeah. It's like, it's like super meta. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> I mean, In it a makes blog sense. Post on Tumblr but... today, Twitter CEO Jack. <laughs> chatted about Facebook and Snapchat's new filters. It's like, what? Right. <laughs> but you kind of have to from a business perspective because that's where we are in society but it's just it's just a funny thought when you break it down so yeah and and i think that the reason clubhouse became as popular as it did as fast as it did is because everybody's kind of stuck at home you know right they can't go hang out with their friends so they're getting together in their virtual clubhouse to chat together yeah they're clubhouse <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i will also mention that clubhouse is blocked in china Shocker. And finally, TriHealth receives heavy news from third party. A ransomware attack involving Bricker and Eckler, the law firm that represents TriHealth Incorporated, could affect some of its employees and patients. Bricker provides legal services that support TriHealth's business operations, which requires TriHealth to provide sensitive and confidential information. In February, the firm notified TriHealth that its data was included in the attack on Bricker's email server. This includes the release of 1,700 social security numbers, and at this time, there's no evidence that the data has been misused. Bricker will be notifying impacted individuals and is offering 12 months of identity theft and credit monitoring protection. They've implemented additional security protocols, are supporting a federal law enforcement investigation, and will continue to evaluate security steps going forward what a shame for the i feel bad for the law organization because it's literally you know not they're not necessarily doing cybersecurity, but they're implementing policies in theory and helping try health with their compliance which in turn helps cybersecurity in theory right right and and now they're the ones who are who are uh you know affected by ransomware which you know it just goes to show you ransomware knows no bounds it literally happens it could happen and it happens to all sorts of organizations. The goal of ransomware is just to make more money. It's just, it's literally like a scheme that just ends up getting hackers rich because organizations can't afford to lose the data. It's a terrible look on them already and they can't afford to not have access to the data that they work on on a, on a daily basis. Right. So, you know, obviously law informa law organizations work with sensitive information as well. Um, and, you know, in this case, they happen to be working with a healthcare organization. So technically they're a vendor. So it goes back to, you know, if you're a healthcare organization, mm -hmm. um, you have to do your due diligence in terms of uh, what you, who you choose as your vendors and your legal professionals. Not saying that Bricker and Eckler aren't good because a lot of times what happens with ransomware is, is it, it just happens. It's not really something that you can prevent. It's something that will eventually happen and it depends what you do when it does happen more so than trying to prevent it. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talked about this last week, making sure that your vendors that you work with are also yep. safe. Yeah. That's obviously very important. Um, as we look at this one, I, I just got to say it's a great, time to get into the identity theft and credit monitoring business it's yeah. a great time to do it <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> literally if you were thinking about starting a business in that field this is the perfect time and that's it for this week's wrap-up of your weekly healthcare news i'm alex ross 
And I'm Matt Moneypenny. And we will see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The Bandage. This week's episode was written and produced by eTactics. eTactics is a leading revenue cycle solutions organization committed to providing innovative, web-based solutions that improve our clients' cash management and customer relationships. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.